There we go. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, Moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Okay, maybe one more. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. Let us, did we already pray? Let us pray. Reverend Tuig, sir, would you please pray over our Bible study and teacher. Amen. Amen. I think we did pray. Maybe we got double prayer. We'll have double blessing tonight. All right. Glad for everybody here this evening. Looking forward to uh, this Bible study. Praying, thinking about it. I said, man, what a blessing we have. Uh, this chapter to go over tonight. This is uh, one of the highlights of the whole entire Word of God. The faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11. And if we can put it in context of where we're at in the book of Hebrews. Paul writing to this group of people that had at one time been Jews. And then had accepted Christ, turned from Judaism and became Christians. But their culture surrounded them and it constantly called for them to turn back to Judaism. So Paul lays out these uh, evidences of why Christ was better, why he was better than all of the Old Testament things, better than the angels and better than Moses and, and better than his new covenants, better than the old covenant. And then in chapter, end of chapter 10 and beginning of chapter 11, he begins to give us examples. He's reminding us and he's going to show us these examples. He was showing them and of course God gave us this book so he's showing us. Reminding us of these examples of these people who kept going when the times got tough. Eventually he's going to sum it up and say remember Jesus. And so we're at these first few and we already uh, covered a couple of them. But maybe just a little bit, little bit of review. We talked about how faith is the thing that stands up under something. It is, if we have a contract, it's what makes the contract um, uh, applicable. It's like a pillar that holds up the whole building. So when you take away faith, the whole building collapses. That's why it is so essential for us to have faith in our Christianity. So we talked about that. We saw that uh, verse 4 I wanted to get to. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. 
by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Now I want to ask you a question. Why was Abel's sacrifice accepted and Cain's rejected? Now if you know a little bit about the Bible, we know that God had asked them to make a blood sacrifice. And a lot of times we go to this particular point that God said, hey, you need to offer an animal sacrifice because only an animal, an innocent animal could die, shed their blood for guilty men's sins. And that would be that form of worship. Abel did that. Cain brought fruit and he brought vegetables and he brought things which he had brought from his garden. So we look at that sometimes. But really here's the issue. Abel's sacrifice was accepted because he offered it by faith. He offered it by faith. He was saying, God, I believe you. He might not have understood all of the theology behind the blood sacrifice, but he was saying, God, this is what you said to do, and I believe you, and so I'm going to offer what you said. Now, look at this compared to Cain. Cain brought what he wanted to. So in his mind, he was saying, you know what, God, I'm not sure all that is necessary. I don't really think it's such a big deal. And I'm not really sold on it. And therefore, I'm going to do what I want to do. Sometimes we think that doubt is something that afflicts us and we have no control over. But in reality, the Bible tells us that doubt is like sin. We must resist it. We can push it away and choose to believe. So when Abel said, I'm going to believe God, I'm going to do what he said, God honored it because he offered it by faith. But when Cain said, I'm not so sure all that's necessary and I don't know if it's a big deal, and he didn't have faith in his sacrifice, God rejected him. We know what this happened in the long run. Cain was not only rejected in his offering, eventually we find out he was rejected by God because of his sin. So doubt is really a seed that springs forth and brings sin. Faith is the seed that springs forth and brings righteousness. We have faith in God. Are you all with me tonight? This is like an exceptionally quiet Bible study. So I want to make sure you're alive and well. I'm not looking at mannequins out there. (laughs) Pulled my glasses off. Everybody swapped out mannequins and then got back in there. We need to act on what God said. Have faith in God. If it's not possible to have faith in God, Jesus would not be righteous in commanding us to do it. So you say, well, how can I just have faith in God? Well, faith is manifested by doing So when God says, do something, we show we have faith because we act on it. James over and over says, he said, show me your faith by your works. So when we don't do what God has said, we are really showing we don't have faith in God. We don't have faith in his commandments. That's a serious, serious thing. And I think we we are in a realm today of Christianity and I guess I would say at least in the Christian world world, if you will, where so many people, they're like, uh, they're like gourmet Christians. I have a little bit of this, a little bit of that, 
Oh, not so much of that. Not so much of that. I'll take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I think I have a taste for a little worship today. Maybe I have a taste for a little home group or a little Bible study. Oh, I don't want that prayer stuff. No, don't talk to me about repentance. No, I don't want that soul winning stuff. I, I don't feel like that today. To where they just pick and choose what they want instead of saying, you know what? I'm surrendered to God. Whatever God wants is what God gets. Amen. I don't have the option if I am a servant of God, a son of God, to say, ah, God, I'm not so sure I really want to do that. That would be evidencing or showing, manifesting our lack of faith in what he said. Abel simply believed God. When God said to offer an animal sacrifice, Cain said, I'm not so sure about all this. Didn't do what God said and paid the price. So think about that. Now, we talked about that a little bit. Just wanted to bring that out. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, I pointed this out to you last week, but a few more points I wanted to bring out. We know that we have no record of, of Enoch praying until his son was born. Son was born at 65 years old. We find Enoch walked with God 300 years and then God took him. Now, a few things to point out to you. What was the son's name? You might remember his name. Methuselah. Methuselah. If you know a little bit about the Bible, that's the oldest guy, oldest recorded guy in the Bible. 969 years. Now, this is interesting because we know that Enoch was a prophet. God talks about it in the book of Jude, I believe, other portions of Scripture. God had given him these prophecies. And one of the prophecies seemed to be uh, his son's name was, was evidence of it because Methuselah means after him it comes. After him it comes. And if you look at the chronology, you got Enoch was 300, uh, 60, he was 65 years old when Methuselah was born. He lived 300 more years. And then when he was taken up, Methuselah lived another 669 years, 969 total. And if you look at that timeline, that's exactly when the flood came. So it was as if God was saying, he gave this revelation to Enoch. Hey, after Methuselah is going to come the judgment. And you almost look at it, why perhaps was Enoch so moved? Because, you know, sometimes you can mess up your life and, and you can bear the consequences. You go to jail for it. You can sit there and say, man, I'm sad I'm in jail. But you know what? I deserve it. I did it. But it's something else when your life impacts somebody else, your child. And so I can, I can imagine Enoch looking at that and saying, you know what, it's important for me to live, God, live for God, not just for myself, but for my child. And it was as if he touched God and God said, the judgment's coming. And, and Enoch was praying, well, God, don't let it come until Methuselah is off the planet. Don't let it come until Methuselah has lived out his life. And after him, it cometh. After him, it cometh. So Methuselah lived the longest time. Evidence of, of Enoch's walk with God. Going on. All right, we're, if you're joining us, Hebrews chapter 11, right at verse 6 now. But without faith, oh, one, more point, one more point in verse 5. He said, for before his translation he had this testimony... That he pleased God. Well, what was it about that we know about Enoch that pleased God? 
He walked with God. He spent time with him. That was what he found pleasure in. That was what pleased God was him walking with God. When you have somebody that chooses to be with you, that makes you feel good. Amen. Man, he went, he went out of his way to come and get me, or she went out of her way to come and get me. They choose to be with me. So Enoch was saying, I choose to be with God. That pleased God. That pleased God. Going on, verse 6 now. About, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. As I shared with you, faith is the pillar upon which everything stands. If you take away faith, you take away our, not only our ability to please God, but you take away all of Christianity. All of Christianity is based upon this idea of having faith in God and faith in what the resurrection did. Since we covered this a little bit, I'm going to keep on pushing. Verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Now, when we think about Noah, first I want you to understand that Noah lived about 100 miles from the ocean. About 100 miles from the ocean. So when Noah began building this ark, and this is not, we're not talking about a year or two. We're talking about decades that he was building this ark. Decades that he and his sons were working on this ark. And you can imagine how that the neighbors and the community would look at him. They'd probably call him, if he lived today, he'd be old nutty Noah. What in the world is this guy doing? Why would he, why would he build an ark 100 miles from the ocean? Why would he build one so big? What in the world is this guy? He's wasting his life. But listen to what God said. He said, and this is going to be a recurring theme we're going to find. He said, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Now he saw something, but what he didn't, he didn't see it in the natural realm. He knew there's going, there's going to be a judgment. There's going to be a flood. There's going to be a judgment. I am going to prepare ahead of time because I believe what God said. And we're going to see this as we go forward. Faith always sees. It always sees. Not always naturally. You're not always going to see what you want uh, manifest. We're not talking about name it, claim it type stuff. But faith looks in the spiritual realm and sees ahead. Noah said, I see this judgment coming. It would behoove me to do something about it now so that I can, I can be rescued and my family can be rescued. So because he had this faith in God, he began to do something that was going against the current of the tide, the time. He was doing something that was going against the current of the people. Same thing happens to us today. We as Christians, as we live for God, we're going to be against the current of society. Get used to it. You're not going to fit in. You're not always going to be loved and accepted and, and uh, welcomed and warm. They're going to look at you and call you a bigot and look at you and call you a, a, a hater and all these things. Why? Just because we want to stand up for what God said. Don't get me wrong, Christians are the most loving people. But love, love teaches and helps people. It doesn't let them stay in something that's going to destroy them. Amen? Going on. So he prepared an ark. 
By faith Noah, verse 7, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. He was divinely warned of things not seen yet. Warned of something, check this out, that had never happened before. His faith was shown not just agreeing that the flood would come, but in doing what God told him to do regarding the flood. He was moved with fear. Here's the thing I want to get to. Faith will always do something. You can't just sit back and understand, yes, there's a judgment coming and keep your mouth shut. You can't just sit back and understand, at the end of this life, i got to stand before God and not take action. If you believe that there's a God, if you understand that this world wasn't just snapped into being or come from some cosmic goo and it wasn't just some uh, accident in, in the universe, that there is a God that one day I have to stand before him, then it, we must act upon that. I need to find out about this God. I need to know him. I need to start this relationship with him. Faith will always do something. He, real faith, will always do something. He prepared an ark because he knew what God said was going to happen will happen. Now, I mean, think about this. This is something else. The, the endurance of his faith. Because I told you, he was building this ark for, um, depending on what you go by, it was uh, 60, 70, up to 100 years, depending on the chronology. You can find some of that timeline in the ages of his sons. So he's, he's building this ark for year after year. You can imagine the ridicule that he would hear year after year after year. You're crazy, Noah. You've been building that ark for 10 years. You're crazy, Noah. You're wasting your life. Why in the world are you doing that, Noah? Why in the world would you allow your sons and allow your, your family to waste their life doing that? What good is it going to do you? He had to continue to believe. Continue to have faith. Continue to go forward against the ridicule of the time. If that doesn't speak to you about today. One day Jesus is coming. Now I don't know when. People and preachers have been thinking that he's coming any day now for years. But he is coming. Whether that happens in my lifetime, whether it happens in the next 10 minutes, in the next 10 days, 10 years, or 10, uh, 10 decades, we don't know. But we know he is coming. And because we know he is coming, we need to get ready now. Now, God doesn't give us, you say, well, preacher, what are the signs of the times? God doesn't, there's nothing else biblically that needs to be fulfilled before Jesus comes. You say, well, uh, isn't there going to be wars and rumors of wars and all these things? All of those things are, are pointing to something else. For us as Christians, what we are looking for is what's called the rapture of the church. When Jesus comes, not to the earth, but in the clouds, when he was ascended into heaven, uh, he, the angel said, in like manner he will return. He ascended up in clouds, so he'll come down in the cloud. Then we which are alive and remain as Christians shall be caught up together with the Lord in the air. We will be raptured. That will start the tribulation time, we will be gone. Now, what happens to those who have heard the gospel and they don't make it in the rapture of the church? 
The Bible said that God would send them a strong delusion that they would believe a lie and they would be damned because they received not the love of the truth. So the op- that's why we understand, wow, there's an urgency because I, I might not get a second chance. Think about it. Why would God have to give you or me a second chance when there are billions of people that haven't had a first chance? So if you get a second chance, that's the grace and mercy of God. But the whole understanding is God gives us the gospel. He, he imprints it in our heart. The Bible said he placed eternity in our hearts. There's something within man that lets us understand there is a God. There's something more to this life. Come on, you're just going to live your life and, and get your retirement, have your 401K, and have your 2.3 children, your white picket fence, and die, and that's it? You know there's more than that. There's a God that we're going to stand before. There is the eternity after this life. This is just the dressing room for forever. And if we can be lulled asleep, if we can be fooled into thinking that life is just about what we see here on this earth, you'll squander it. At the end of your life, it'll be too late. It's important to man once to die after this, the judgment. Because he believed God, he did something about it. Got to go on. Keep on going. I want, this is the last portion I want to get to. Verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles which is tense, with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, if you're a Bible reader, you'll see a difference between Abraham and Abram. We're introduced to him as Abram. But after a while, when Abram receives this promise of God and has faith, God takes part of his name and puts it into Abram's name. He changes it from Abram to Abraham, exalted father. Part of that comes from Jehovah. And so he takes part of that name, puts it in Abram's name, and blesses him because he believed God. Now, by the way, when I first came to church, I got saved outside of church. And when I first came to church and they used the, the term, the, the name of God, Jehovah, I got kind of scared. I said, oh, no, am I in a uh, Jehovah's Witnesses church? But no, that's not it at all. It's just the name of God. Matter of fact, the name of Jesus is a contraction from J-E, from Jehovah, and S-U-S. And you, you know the Bible, you know Jehovah means I am. And the S-U-S stood for salvation. So Jesus' name means I am Salvation. I am salvation. So it says that Abram, Abraham now, uh, was called of God. Now if we know a little bit about Abram's past, he was an idol worshiper. He didn't know anything about God. God called him. He left this place called Ur of the Chaldees and he went out believing God. When he did that, God was... What should I say? God was taken by the fact that he believed God. In the book of Romans it said his faith was counted to him for righteousness. God said, I'm going to give you a land, a city. Something's coming in the future. 
And so Abram, he was very wise. Understanding that there's something in the future, he didn't set down deep foundations here in this earth. That's why he's called a sojourner. He's a traveler. He's not, he's not calling this earth his home. That's why he didn't build a great big mansion. He just dwelt in tents because his life was not going to be about this earth. His life was going to be about the next life. Now, that's wise for all of us. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that we are to be as soldiers and that we're not to be entangled with the affairs of this world. Uh, a while back, the United States Marine Corps came out with a, um, a new policy. And they were only, it didn't last long, they were only going to allow single men to join the Marines. And here was their thinking. A single man doesn't have his mind encumbered with his family and everything at home. Now, of course, the backlash was gr swift and great, and they canceled that policy. But that was really the policy of the Roman soldiers. That they, when they went out there, they weren't to be entangled. They, they were to be single men and not entangled with the, uh, uh, the worries of a wife and children at home. They were to continually and solely give themselves to fight the battles for the Caesar. Now God tells us that we should not be entangled with the affairs of this world. He doesn't tell us not to be married. Although Paul did say, he said, it would be better if you could be wholeheartedly dedicated to God if you were single, but not everybody's given that gift. Some folks are saying, man, I'm single. I'm trying to get married with everything I got. But God, God called it a gift. So if you find yourself in a single state now, don't lament it. Amen. Thank God for it. Use it for God's glory. But he said he was a sojourner. Verse 9, by faith he sojourned. Now, a sojourner is a traveler. Abraham lived as a sojourner in the land, never owning any of the plots except where he buried Sarah. He dwelt, and that word dwelt translated the Greek word paroikos, meaning he was a resident alien, someone who lives somewhere but doesn't have permanent status there. I'm here, but I'm just traveling through. I'm not going to identify myself with this world. This world is not my home. When you, when you get that in your mind, then you're not, you're not so quick to send out your tentacles and get wrapped up with everything down here. It's a house. It's one day it's going to burn. They're closed. One day they're going to get old. It's money, use it as you can for good, but it's not, it's not the, the sum total of your life. You're a sojourner, you're a, you're a traveler passing through this life. Now here's where I want to get to. A resident alien or a sojourner is evident by the way they talk, by the way they dress, their mannerisms, their entertainment, their citizenship. Their friends all speak of their native home. So if we are heading for a heavenly city, we are sojourners. We should not take upon ourselves the mannerisms, the talk, the, the, the surroundings, the culture of this present world. We're not from here, if you will. Do you follow? 
if someone is the same in all these areas as the natives, they talk like all of the worldlings. They dress like them. They have the same mannerisms, the same entertainment. Why would a Christian sit down and, and watch movies filled with nudity and, and cursing and all these other things if we are to be from a different a different uh, world. <clears throat> we are sojourners. We're not permanent residents here. We're not to talk, act, dress, speak, and be like everybody else. Christians should not live as if they are permanent residents of planet Earth. This is just a dressing room. I got to ask you the question, where are you going to go after this life? Now, when I was 19 years old, I wasn't thinking about that. But God was merciful in the midst of my partying and doing the wrong things. He brought me to a sudden stop and made me think about eternity. And I recognized if I died then, I wasn't going to heaven. Heaven isn't an automatic for everybody born in America. Jesus said, you've got to be born again. Check this out. He said not one sin would enter into heaven. Not one bit of cursing, not one bit of lust, not one bit of, of uh, anger. We've got to be cleansed from that. So preacher, is that possible to live a, a life that's, that's, that's so clean and pure? Well, when we're born again it is. Because Jesus comes into our heart. Now if you've got a corrupt computer, everything the computer does is corrupt. But if you want the computer to be changed, then what do they do? They, well, they format the hard drive. They reinstall the operating system. It's brand new. Now it operates correctly. So a Christian has had his heart formatted. All right? Self and sin is no longer there. We've asked, we've asked Christ to come in. He becomes the new operating system of our life. And since he is the new operating system of our life, now because God's living in me, now I can overcome sin. I am a sojourner. My time is up. Passing through this life. But what about you? Whether you realize it or not, you're a sojourner too. I'm not sure. I'm not trying to be gloomy. But 100 out of every 100 people dies. We leave this earth. We stand before God. I don't want to stand before God with my heart filled with sin. Scripture has a, a portion where the person in the book of Revelation, it, it pictures the people standing before God. And the books are open. Thought about that today. Everything I do is one day going to be seen by everybody. Everything I speak Unless it's washed in the blood. But standing before God, and the Bible said that those who were not found in the book of life, they were not saved. It's, it's horrifying language. It says the angel will pick them up and the angel will cast them in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone forever and ever. He will cast them. And then you have to think, you know, we are so, we shared this last week at 
Someone talked about uh, how beautiful this country of Singapore is, and there's no trash and very little crime, very safe. But the reality is because there's very strict penalties on uh, crime. You get caught stealing something, they'll cut your hand off. They'll cane you for doing, uh, for littering, doing very, very simple things. In America, we have this idea, most people, well, if they get caught, they'll probably get a second chance. They'll get away with it. The judge will probably slap them on the wrist. How many times we hear, well, this guy's been arrested 27 times. And then he was let out again and he killed somebody. And so in, in our minds, in, in, in our, at least in our criminal system, we just think there's never any real accountability. But with God, that's not the way it is. There is the ultimate accountability. And there will not be anybody. I, I read to you uh, a while back, I preached about the statistics of uh, crimes, people that get away with them. I think it was like something like 80% of, of property crimes uh, are never, never, they never catch the person. 60% of, of violent crimes, and I think it was like 40% or more of murders never get caught. So 40% of all the people that are killing folks are getting away with it. But not one of them will get away with it before God. Not one. Property crime or anger, hatred or, or, or a crime of, 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 of the heart in your mind, in your, in your spirit. It will all be held accountable. Now, if you look at your heart, I'm getting, I'm done, We're, our time is up. But if you look at your heart and say, preacher, there's things that I'm ashamed of, nobody else knows. Tonight you can make it right. The whole idea of Jesus coming was he died to take our place. He went to hell. Did you know that? And when he died on the cross, after they, they, he died, his spirit and soul went to hell. The psalmist said, thou, thou hast laid me in the lowest pit. The waves of God's wrath came over him. Why was he in hell? He was taking my place. He was taking your place. He was suffering for us. Because somebody had to. It wouldn't be right for someone to get away with the crime and there'd be no penalty for it. And so God, to fulfill righteousness, said, I will pay your penalty. And he died and went to hell. Now, it doesn't give us an automatic out. We've got to come to him and say, God, I'm guilty. I thank you for paying my price. I accept what you did for me. Come into my heart and save me. When you pray that simple prayer, just like that, he did it for you. You just got to come to him and say, God, I want to be forgiven. Come into my life. I surrender to you. When you mean that, he'll give you a brand new beginning. How do you know, preacher? Because one day, 30 years ago, 35, whatever it is, that's what I did. I said, Jesus, didn't even have all the right words, didn't even know about being saved. I just cried out, Jesus. And he came into my life and saved me. Would you bow your head, close your eyes for a moment of prayer. Lord, we thank you tonight.
for each one. Thank you. We thank you tonight for each one that you've brought. We thank you for the reality of your word. God, we don't, we don't want to take it lightly. There's an eternity that we're all heading to. I understand. For those who are born again, we look forward to being in eternity in heaven. Be with you and our loved ones. But those who have not yet surrendered to Christ, God, we would be the worst monsters if we did not warn them. And I pray, Lord, as we shared your word tonight, maybe there are those who would say, I want to be forgiven. I want to be changed. Maybe the devil tells you, you know what, you might as well not even try because you're not going to change. Well, not in your own strength. But the Bible said, he said, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's what happens when you surrender to Christ. Just pray with me. Jesus, I know that I've sinned. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. I surrender to you. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Help me to live for you every day of my life by your power and your grace. In Jesus' name I pray.